Well, good afternoon. Um, several years ago, I, I looked back at my notes, and it was actually eight or nine years ago. I taught a series in the afternoon services about Christian heresies in church history. And we started that first with that first heresy. Um, that started in the apostolic age of the New Testament church that Paul had to address, which was the heresy of the Judaizers. And then we moved forward in church history and we covered Gnosticism, Marcionism, Docetism, Manichaeism, Sabellianism, Arianism, Apollinarianism, Pelagianism, Semi-Pelagianism, Eutychism, Nestorianism, and Socianism. You want a quiz? <laughs> well, we're not, we're not going to have a quiz on those today. I, I couldn't pass it myself without a refresher. But we, we did spend an afternoon on each one of those back, back then. Some of you may remember some of that. I want to return to the idea of heresy this afternoon and discuss a modern Christian heresy um, which we should condemn reject and be prepared to refute. But before we get to that, let me remind you that the term heresy and heretic are, are serious words. Those are serious words and sometimes they've been slung around in an unwise manner. In the history of Christianity, the term orthodoxy has been used to refer to those doctrines which are accepted by the church. And heresy has been used to refer to those doctrines or theories that were not accepted by the church. Orthodoxy comes from the Greek orthos, meaning right or true or straight, plus dogza, which is opinion or belief. So orthodoxy is a right opinion, a straight belief. Heresy, from ancient Greek, heresis, choice or system of principles. So, etymologically, orthodoxy refers to a right belief, and heresy refers to a wrong choice. Now, obviously you know those terms are complicated by the history of the Christian church because of things like the Emperor Constantine's conversion to Christianity, the Edict of Milan in 313, the, the ascendancy following that of the Bishop of Rome, and various schisms between the Western and the Eastern churches in the early church, including the major East-West divide in 1054, and the Protestant Reformation in 1517. All these things complicate the ideas of heresy and orthodoxy. But... Listen, even though heresy and orthodoxy are complicated by historical things like those I've mentioned, there are things that all Christians within the pale of orthodoxy have historically agreed upon. And there are things that all Christians within the pale of orthodoxy have rejected. And, you know, there are some folks that think that everybody that doesn't agree with them is a heretic. And we would call those schismatics, dividers. And you know that Paul 
spills a lot of ink in the New Testament encouraging unity. So, let me just interject here. If you have never changed your mind about some doctrine, I submit to you that you've never really thought. You understand? If you haven't changed your mind about some doctrine, then you've never really thought. So, there are movements within the modern church that I believe are clearly heretical. That is, they are outside of Christian orthodoxy. For example, the so-called charismatic movement, which I believe to be a non-Christian cult, which uses the name Jesus for a fictitious figure that has little in common with the historical Christ. There are cults like the Mormon cult, or the Jehovah's Witnesses, or so-called Christian scientists. They use religious terminology, but they hold to radically heretical beliefs about God and His Son, Jesus of Nazareth. And the Jesus that they preach is another Jesus. He's not the Jesus of Holy Scripture. He's not the Jesus consessed at Nicaea. Now, we Baptists, we say that we believe the Holy Scriptures contained in the Holy Bible reveal all that we need for life and godliness. Now, I believe that. So, I believe that the essence, that's an interesting and important word, the essence of orthodoxy is Holy Scripture rightly interpreted. And I believe in that saying often attributed to Aurelius Augustine in the Sartatis Unitas, in Dubius Libertas, in Omnibus Caritas. Where's Medina? In things essential, unity. In things doubtful, liberty. In all things, charity. So, Bill, I'm not going to nitpick this afternoon. But I want to bring before you a modern heresy that's in the streets in our days. And I want to call upon you to reject it in favor of orthodoxy, in favor of truth. I'm going to exhort you that you, listen, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, Jude 1.3. Or as the NIV renders it, contend for the faith which was once for all entrusted to the saints. You understand? Unless God changes something like inaugurating a new covenant, unless God changes something, there's no change in the faith. God never changes. He says, I am Yahweh. I change not. Malachi 3.6 Of Him the Scriptures say forever O Jehovah Thy Word is settled in heaven Psalm 119.89 And of that second person of the Holy Trinity the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever Hebrews 13.8 
So the, the modern heresy that I want to discuss with you this afternoon has been called by many, quote, progressive Christianity, unquote. And I'll argue that like the named and rejected heresies of earlier generations of church history, this so-called, quote, progressive Christianity, unquote, is not Christianity at all. And those who espouse it, please listen, are not brethren. They are not followers of Jesus of Nazareth. They are heretics, enemies of the cross of Christ, disturbers of the peace of Zion. And they are to be rejected. Now, how can we enter into this? Because being a modern Christian history or modern Christian heresy, we don't have hundreds or thousands of years of writing about it. So I had to choose something. Well, Dr. Michael Kruger, PhD from the University of Edinburgh, also where Dr. Kurt Daniel got his doctorate. PhD from the University of Edinburgh and currently a professor of New Testament studies and early Christianity has written extensively about the heresy that we're calling progressive Christianity. And he set forth 10 tenets of progressive Christianity. He actually wrote a 2019 book entitled The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. And I want you to hear these 10 tenets of progressive Christianity And as I read them to you, I want you to ask yourself, how many of these that you've heard in the mainstream? Because, listen, every one of them is at odds with the orthodox historical Christian faith, that faith once delivered to the saints. And after each one, Dr. Kruger offers his translation. So I'll I'll read those as well. So listen, number one, Jesus is a model for living more than an object for worship. Translation, Jesus isn't divine, but he's a good moral teacher. Number two, affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness. Translation, sin's not really the problem. People are basically good. Number three, the work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments. Translation, Christians should stop being so judgmental. Number four, gracious behavior is more important than right belief. Translation, theology doesn't matter. Just be a good person. Number five, inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. Translation, we can't be certain about what we believe Truth is not really accessible. Number six, encouraging the personal search is more important than group uniformity. Translation, the church is just about protecting its authority and squashing dissent. Number seven, meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions. Translation, too much focus on the church gets in the way of God's mission. Number eight, peacemaking is more important than power. 
translation. Since the church abuses its power, that power should be taken away. Number nine, we should care more about love and less about sex. Translation, God doesn't care what you do in your bedroom if your heart is in the right place. And ten, life in this world is more important than the afterlife. Translation, no one really knows what happens after you die, so focus on fixing the present world. Well, listen, I'll I'll remind you that when we discussed heresies eight or nine years ago, we continually reminded ourselves that they were, quote, Christian heresies. (coughs) Meaning, these are not an external attack from Islam or Hinduism. They are falsehoods propagated by those who self-identified as Christians. Historically, Pelagius said, I'm a Christian. These guys have it wrong. In modernity, there are those who have mixed ideas from Eastern mystery cults with Christian terminology, and then they've called it Christianity. And examples are folks like Richard Rohr from Catholic perspective, the late Rachel Held Evans, Brian McLaren, author of A New Kind of Christianity, A New Kind of Christian, A Generous Orthodoxy, The Secret Message of Jesus, and many, many other books. McLaren is prolific. And there are many, many others. But listen, to these folks, Christianity is not so much about the faith as it is about being nice. Beloved, listen, (laughs) I think that Christians should be nice. But being nice is not what the Christian faith is about. The Orthodox Christian faith, listen, the Orthodox Christian faith claims possession of truth about a man. Truth which, if believed, transforms the believer into a disciple, a bond slave to a historical teacher, and obligates the believer to work to conform his or her thinking and living to the teaching of that historical teacher. The Christian faith claims to have certain, though not exhaustive, knowledge about what happens after physical death. The Christian faith explicitly asserts that actual, real, metaphysically real resurrection of physical bodies has occurred in the past and will occur again in the future as the invisible creating God recreates human life in His resurrected followers, somehow preserving their identities intact after their death and giving them new life in glorified bodies like the body of Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, bodies that can access the human dimension, earth, but somehow can also access the divine dimension, heaven. Christianity claims all those things. 
So I'll, I'll, I don't want to be lengthy this afternoon. I would like to reserve a few minutes for discussion. But every one of the ten tenets of progressive Christianity is ultimately an error. And I'll not refute them all this afternoon, but I want to mention a few of them. Jesus is a model for living more than an object for worship. Now, saints, listen. <laughs> don't you see? Jesus must be an object of worship before He is a model for living. Do, do you see that? He's a model for living because He's an object of worship. He's God. We believe this. And so we follow Him. And Michael Clive Staples Lewis refuted this much more articulately than I can in his masterpiece, Mere Christianity, when he wrote, and listen, I've quoted this to you many times and I probably will again because he, he's probably my favorite author. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Jesus. Quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. End quote. Well, affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness. Listen, friend, Orthodox Christianity asserts that sin is the ultimate human problem. It's the ultimate human problem that must be dealt with. And affirming people in, in it, that is, in their sin, that is the very antithesis of Christianity. Jesus came, quote, to save His people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. That's the very mission statement of Jesus. Listen, stealing's not okay. Adultery is not okay. Homosexuality is not okay. These, according to Holy Scripture, are sins. And God is not okay with them. And listen, He never changes. He never changes. Jesus didn't come to affirm people in their sins. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. And any Christianity that is not, listen, any Christianity that is not delivering people from wickedness and making them more righteous according to the scriptural standard is false. He came to save His people from their sins, not to affirm them in them. 
the work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments. Well, reconciliation requires judgment. How would you know you're unreconciled if you didn't make a judgment? Christians aren't ultimately commanded to not judge. Rather, Christians are commanded, quote, judge righteous judgment. And warned, the judgment that you judge with, that's the judgment you're going to be judged with. So, you better be merciful. In other words, full of mercy. Because you're going to want that, aren't you? We must judge, though. We must discriminate. We must decide. The question is, whose side will we take when we decide? Listen, friend, I I don't have to articulate any reason why homosexuality is wrong. I don't have to articulate any reason. I don't have to give a reason. Why? Obviously, from an evolutionary perspective, it's wrong. Do you see that? Because ultimately, it results in the eradication of our species. You know, no reproduction. Contrary to what you're hearing, there, are no, there is no such thing as pregnant men. It just, just doesn't happen. The reason, listen, the reason that Christianities, that Christians believe homosexuality is wrong, it's the same reason that Christians believe murder is wrong. It's because God has said so. And His Son Jesus has affirmed His command. Gracious behavior is more important than right belief. Just be nice. I know He's a Christian because He's so nice. Well, I think we've already covered that, but saints, listen. Christians are nice. You know why they're nice? Because the Holy Spirit is within them producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're not as nice as they should be. But they're nicer than they would be were it not for God being at work in them. And we don't talk about politics much in this church, and I don't want to. But as you are able, you should vote against what you know to be sinful. You understand? You should not be for sin. You should be against sin because God's against it. And if people shouldn't steal, neither should their government. And don't tell me you can't legislate morality. Because don't you know every law legislates somebody's morality? And if we can't legislate morality, then how can we have laws against pedophilia? You're against that, aren't you? I'm against it. Are you against it? Well, why would you be so judgmental? So Christian, listen. All I'm saying is use whatever power you have, even your one little vote, with prayerful thought and consideration 
God, how can I use my power, my influence, maybe even my one little vote to advance the kingdom of Jesus in this world? And you may find yourself voting for what some people say, well, that's just un-American. Well, I I am an American, but that's my secondary citizenship. Mm -hmm. And saints, listen, I don't believe for a second that America is a Christian country. But if I have anything to say about it, it will be. I don't have much to say about it. Yes, I'm glad we have pluralism. And I don't believe that force can make Christians. But oh, friend, I long. I long for my countrymen to bow their knees to Jesus of Nazareth. And I long for that to happen now in peace. And not for them to be forced to their knees. And they will be. By the avenging power of heaven as they are judged unworthy of everlasting life for disbelieving in Jesus and rejecting the Prince of Glory. Inviting questions is more important than supplying answers. Michael, one thing I love about philosophy is it asks very hard questions. And it questions presuppositions. But one thing I've learned is that man, with his limitations, can't really answer many questions. So every man must have faith either in God or in a false God or or in modernity in nothing. And that takes a lot of faith if you look around. Well, where'd all this come from? Nowhere. Really. Are you just an idiot? Listen, Orthodox Christianity does not equivocate. Jesus of Nazareth said, I am the truth. Orthodox Christianity asserts that we know the truth. And He is God. He is Jesus. Listen, endless questioning without answers is foolishness. Do you understand that? It took me a while to understand that. And and listen, even though we may dress it up in a cap and gown... It's foolishness. And that's why Paul vociferously condemns those who are, quote, ever learning, yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 7. As my daddy would say, he's so smart he doesn't even realize he's an idiot. I'm going to skip 6 and 7 in the interest of time, but probably because they're not near as interesting to me. Number 8, peacemaking is more important than power. Uh, Anybody of y'all that really knows me deeply knows I'm a peace nut and an anti-war champion. And saints, listen, Orthodox Christianity greatly values peace. We desire it. We thank God for it. We affirm with our Savior that peacemakers are blessed. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Our Savior Himself, listen, is the ultimate peacemaker. But we decry those who would cry peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jeremiah 6, 14. We affirm with our God, there is no peace, saith our God to the wicked. Isaiah 48.22 and Isaiah 57.21. The power of God, listen, the power of God is more important than peace. And when wickedness abounds, the righteous are disturbed. And woe to the man or woman or nation that disturbs the peace of God's elect. Our weapons are not of this world. But when we are aroused, we will fight against you with the sword of our mouth, with our tongue. And friend, listen, when God looks down on America, he has no swell of nationalistic pride like, like you might. He sees a nation which possesses more copies of Holy Scripture than any nation in history. and a nation that treasures its sacred right to murder the image bearers of God before they're even born. Beloved, Sodom and Gomorrah will arise in the day of judgment against America. For had they known what America knows, I don't know, maybe they would have repented in dust and ashes. Now listen, I am glad that I am an American. And when I think about my nation in the sight of God, I tremble. And I pray with Habakkuk, in wrath, remember mercy, oh God. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2 And listen, I don't fire my weapon at the drag queen show. And I'm not gonna. But I don't want it happening in my country. It pollutes the land. I don't fire my weapon, but I pray that God will destroy it. Listen, I cry out for their salvation. But if not that, I cry out for their destruction. I want it to stop. It pollutes the land. I value peace. And I value righteousness. And listen, I'm intelligent enough to value more than one thing. Are you? You are. Progressive Christianity wants peace at all costs. Orthodox Christianity has several hills that it's willing to die on. We should care more about love and less about sex. Uh, I was talking to a Christian the other day and I told him the, the temperature gauge of our day or, or the, the black and white, the discerner in our day is the Christian sexual ethic. Our society can't handle it. Society just can't handle it. I remember a catchy song from when I was in elementary school or junior high and it, 
and it was a song about an adulterous, illicit relationship. And the chorus went, If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Any of y'all remember that? Oh man, it was catchy. Stuck in your mind. I loved it. Because the pop music was so catchy. I had no idea what it meant. I was very young. But now that I can understand it, I hate it. I hate it. Progressive Christianity says, well, it's love. It can never be wrong. So if I'm homosexually attracted, well, it must be of God. How can love be wrong? How can you say that? Love can be wrong. Well, obviously, progressive Christianity does not believe in the demonic. And if you'll allow me to put quote marks around love, Orthodox Christianity definitely distinguishes between righteous and unrighteous love. If love exists within a homosexual relationship, and I'm not even sure what that means, a feeling I feel good when I'm around you. What what does it mean? But I can affirm, even if there is, quote, love, Holy Scripture declares it abomination. So what I'm saying is, is from an Orthodox Christian perspective, listen, it doesn't matter what you think. In our day, Christian sexual ethics are a major rub. And listen, friend, Christianity places a high, a very, very, very high value upon marital sexuality. It actually sanctifies it or sacralizes it. Now, the bill often reminds us that the bread that we use for communion is special, even though it's common. Well, why? Well, it's because it's sanctified. It's set apart for special use. It's sacralized. It's made holy. Why? Is it holy bread? Yes! It's the holiest bread around. Why? Because we've sacralized it. We've sanctified it. We've set it apart for special use. Holy use. And listen... Christians have a different idea about sex than the pagans. I'm not going to talk about this too much this afternoon. But the reason the world thinks we're hung up is because we value sex much more than the world does. We've sanctified it. We've sacralized it. Because God has. And we follow Him. And listen, you can tell a whole lot about a human by his or her attitude towards sex. Tim, the famous 20th century novelist, Aldous Huxley, son of Sir Julian Huxley, the great scientist. Aldous was a great atheist. A great novelist, a deep thinker, 
And at least he was honest about his atheism. He admitted, quote, I had a motive for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Consequently, assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for my assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with the problem in pure metaphysics. He's also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do, or why his friends should not seize political power and govern in the way they find most advantageous to themselves. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. That's from his Ends and Means, 1937. You see, listen, Huxley understood. He was an academic. You see, if there's a God, he might have something to say about me having sex with my grad student. And I don't want that. Beloved, listen, progressive Christianity, the progressive Christian Heresy paganizes, that is, it devalues sex, which Christian orthodoxy highly values and sacralizes, even using the image of marriage and a righteous sexual relationship as a symbol of Christ's intimate enjoyment of his church. I'm going to stop in a minute and we can discuss this, but let me clarify why I call progressive Christianity a heresy, even though a modern one. It's a Christian heresy because those who espouse it call themselves Christians. And they have intentionally and emphatically departed from orthodoxy and they attack orthodoxy and claim that they are some kind of new kind of Christian. And friends, seek the old paths. We assert that God the Father has not changed. Jesus the Son has not changed. God the Holy Spirit has not changed. Listen, it is belief in and obedience to God's only begotten Son that saves men and women. And defiance and disobedience leads to the curse of God. Now, I told you I had to find some sort of an entrance into this because it hadn't been written about for hundreds of years. So I used Dr. Kruger's Ten Tenets as a summary because you've probably all encountered some of those ideas. But often, progressive Christianity is characterized by claiming to be Christian, but explicitly denying things like the atonement, the deity of Christ, original sin, the authority of Holy Scripture, bodily resurrection, the virgin birth, the impeccability, that is the sinlessness of Jesus, or the Trinity. Well, I can't understand it. So it must not be true. Oh, my goodness. Mike, I, I, I believe that when I flip the switch, the light comes on, but don't ask me to explain it. 
And even if Grady explains it, he can explain it a lot better than I can, but I'm not sure he really understands it. <laughs> also, progressive Christianity is often characterized by affirming things like universalism, LGBTQI+. Did I get them all? <laughs> the social gospel. Critical theory, or Marxism. And religious pluralism, the idea that, well, really, all, all roads lead to God. Just be nice. If everybody would just be nice. So I point the finger this afternoon at so-called progressive Christianity, and I say, heresy. Heresy. And I exhort you with an holy apostolic exhortation to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all entrusted to the saints. Well, what would you like to discuss about that? Anybody ever encountered any of that? Is often comes off as a supreme overemphasis in areas. It's like in a lot of those. You're like, you're, some of them, you're, you're really putting the emphasis in the, in the wrong place if you look at some of those. And some of them, it's like you're putting so much emphasis on a thing, it negates another thing. Mm -hmm. Right? Or if you think of like, uh, like the institutions, I believe one of the ten that you listed was uh, being good to others versus institutions. Okay, we're Baptists. We are generally more anti-institutional than many other groups in Christianity. Right? Um, so it's like it's a, it's addressing a real problem that Christians have had in the past, where there have been too many supposedly Christian institutions, and then they go, okay, well instead of that, let's just let's just be good to each other, as if those two things have to be separated, right? When in reality, we understand, okay, well, the Christian institution of the church is God's chief means of doing good to people. So therefore, it is ultimately a false emphasis. Right. But they put something somewhere else, and a lot of heresy just comes ultimately, I think, from that. It's just, we're going to emphasize something so much, and go so much here that it just ends up washing something else. Something that is really crucial. Like, we're going to emphasize Jesus as a good teacher so much that we're just going to kind of Let's just get rid of the whole orthodox view of who Jesus is, kind of thing. So, don't let the don't let the change in emphasis confuse you and go, oh, they're just emphasizing something differently. We're all ultimately the same. No, sometimes those changes in emphasis, yeah. are, they really change the nature of the thing, and so you got to watch about, watch out for that. I think I can't remember the, but I, I don't know who who the theologian or person who said this was, but the, you've heard the adage that truth out of balance is error or truth out of balance becomes error. And definitely there's something there. I think the biggest thing is what you just read off <clears throat> most of this stuff is anthropocentric. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not in the middle of any of it. It's right. all about making people feel good. 
you know. She just said, it's not the hold in the position that those that are sick. Nobody, well, nobody wants to be told they're sick. It, that the, the what was a sin in the garden, and I've heard someone say that it was autonomy, and that you know namos is law, auto is self, it's self law, autonomy. No, I'm going to do what I want to do. I want what I want, what I want. <laughs> um, Christians were they false believers? Were they atheists? Or? That's a really good question. And um, I mean, I'd welcome some discussion on that. I, I really believe what um, Dr. Brunson used to teach sometimes, and that is that the primary um, thing that Satan's engaged in is not spinning little girls' heads around and making them, you know, spew green vomit. His, his main interest is in twisting, that is distorting the truth, perverting, twisting the truth. And we've all taken trigonometry and you know that if you're off two degrees here and you fly for an hour, you're way, way, way away from where you thought you were going to be. And so I, I believe that ultimately these things have their origin in the pits of hell. To, that, that, that they're satanic. I will tell you that Brian McLaren, who's one of the prolific authors, um, you know, and he's, he's got another book called Faith Still, kind of like he's asking himself publicly, should I, should I still claim to be a Christian? I'm like, no, get, get out of here. You're not, you're not. So, yeah, quit claiming it. But that's what his book about. Should I, because I believe all these things, and I'm trying to make you think that they're Christianity, should I still claim to be a Christian? And I'm like, no, no, just just leave. Um, I, I, I think that there's, it's a spectrum chip, and there are some that are, but it's been that way for a long, long time. I mean, there are, very, very influential theologians, like hugely in, uh, influential, especially in the 20th century. And things have come out and you realize they didn't, they were not, they didn't believe because it had no impact upon their lives. They, they wrote. And why? Well, once you're in so deep and you've got so many educational credentials and you're a professor, a full professor here, you going to walk away from that prestige and honor and money? Um, not many. It's perfectly seductive to, to today's modern thinking. It is. I mean, it's one of those things that makes me sort of admire these uh, 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 vows of poverty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm... I'm not a young man anymore. I've seen people do things for money that would that, that still blow my mind. Well, I don't want to be negative, but part of my job and Bill's job 
We talk about it from time to time as under-shepherds are to shepherd the flock. And part of that is to warn you. Remember what you believe because there are enemies without that would subvert you. Amen. Amen. It's kind of like what Jesus he taught a parable about they sowed the seed and then at night the enemy came in and sowed weeds in there. And then they grew up and like, what is the deal? Why is there so many weeds? Should we just pull them out now? I think an application of that, if not the interpretation, is these, these kind of ideas that are sort of right sounding mm-hmm. just get mixed in with other Christian ideas or mixed in with Christian ideas and then you're kind of like well, which is really Christian and not Christian for example a tornado destroys a town and good Christian people say God didn't want that to happen how, how could they ever come to that conclusion? He releases the wind from his storehouses, doesn't he? Right. But somehow that idea is so mixed into Christianity. You know, real Christians, you know. Right. Well, God bless y'all. Brother Mike Doyle, would you dismiss us, please?